0: Shorten Associates, Legal Recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Baton Rouge, we're Out to Lunch with Stephanie Regal, Editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Between the technology at our fingertips today, the access we have to information, and the rate of rapid change, there's never been a more exciting time to be an inventor, an innovator, or a creator. But those same factors that make it all so possible also open us up to complications and challenges that make us vulnerable to threats from competitors who may want to steal our great ideas with me to discuss this today is michael leachman an attorney with jones walker here in baton rouge who specializes in patents trademarks and copyrights all of which could be rolled together under the umbrella of protecting intellectual property rights in his decade at jones walker michael has prepared and prosecuted patent applications covering a broad spectrum of inventions and technologies in the mechanical chemical biomedical bioscience and nanotechnology fields. He also has experience handling trademarks, trade secrets, and unfair competition litigation in federal and state courts. Michael actually got his undergraduate degree in biomedical engineering from Louisiana Tech and perhaps might've invented some cool technology himself had something not lured him to law school. Michael, we're gonna find out about what that was and what you're doing now, and it's a pleasure to have you here today on Out to Lunch.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Joining me and Michael at the table is a man who knows a lot about patents and intellectual property. He is Jason Hugenroth, owner of Inventherm, an engineering R&D company that specializes in machine design and thermal fluid science for the medical, aerospace, defense, automotive, and energy industries. Inventherm is located at LSU's Innovation Park in the Louisiana Business and Technology Center and has state-of-the-art labs and prototyping machines that help users actually test their ideas inventions and technologies since invent founding jason has earned more than 50 patents in compressor and thermal system technology including an oilless air compressor for a medical respirator product which is basically a type of portable oxygen concentrator it's just an example of the really cool stuff that they're doing in invent and jason you're going to tell us a lot more about it thanks for being
3: here today on out to lunch uh, great thanks stephanie it's great to be here
1: Michael, I'm going to start with you. When we talk about intellectual property rights, it's a broad category. You kind of do it all. Tell us real briefly, what is intellectual property and kind of where would you want a copyright versus a trademark versus a patent or a license? How does it all fit together?
2: So you're correct. Intellectual property is a broad term. It's an umbrella term that captures a bunch of different types of property rights that the law provides. Uh, The Four main common areas of intellectual property are patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. So if you're going to try to, you know, compartmentalize these four different types, when you think inventions, think patents, when you think some sort of artistic creation, think copyright, when you think brand, think that means it's going to be trademark protection, and a trade secret would be something like the Coca-Cola formula, something that no one else knows about, but it has value.
1: Interesting. Okay, that's a beautiful breakdown. So, so what are you doing the most of in your practice, and, and, and where are you seeing the most activity in this market?
2: So I'd say that the breakdown at Jones-Walker across all of our intellectual property attorneys is probably about a, about a 50-50 split between patents and trademark work. Mm-hmm. And that's also split about a 50-50 ratio with litigation as well as doing transactional work where we're helping clients actually get these rights. But we also you know, help clients on the back end where we're either defending them from a lawsuit from a competitor or we're being the aggressor and we're representing our clients uh, enforcing their IP rights.
1: That is so interesting. Which one do you like more, the litigation side or the front end?
2: I probably lean more on the litigation yeah. side just because I think it fits my personality a little bit better. But uh, I do both, and uh, you know, there's certainly some attorneys that would give you a different answer and say they prefer more of the transactional work, less of the less contentious.
1: Well, I don't know if you've run across Jason in your work, but but Jason in Ventham has a fascinating business model because. You're working with intellectual property all the time. You help engineers and other inventors bring their technologies and inventions and ideas to to help them become a reality. Is that right? That's right,
3: yeah. And it can be anything from an individual, a startup company, or we've worked with, you know, multinational, multi-billion dollar companies um, on everything from a new product to just improving (laughs) an existing product.
1: So so multi-billion dollar companies have come to you. And said basically, help us develop or test this idea.
3: Oh yes, yeah, definitely. Um, we worked with um, uh, PepsiCo at, at one point on a particular type of cooling system for a particular market segment. Uh, it also involved an, another company that was that we were working with. Um, <clears throat> some uh, the, the oxygen concentrator compressor that we developed was for a um, a little bit smaller company, but um, you know maybe $1,500 million dollar kind of sales company. But then they were. During the project, they were bought by a you know, multinational company, and we continued the work. So, um, and we've had just individuals that come to us with uh, something they got a patent on. And, uh, so they, cool. Yeah.
1: And and so you all specialize though in like compressor and thermal system technology.
3: We, we have done. I mean, we're really a, a turnkey facility in that we'll we'll take something you know um, in our kind of wide area of expertise and and take it all the way. Including the you know the electronics and packaging and, and dealing with you know manufacturers, but we have had a tendency to f- do a lot of work refrigeration and compress related, uh, some power generation stuff as well.
1: And you've worked with NASA. Is that yes, we've correct? had um, we've had some
3: funding from uh, NASA for a um, a small uh, power generation technology, and um, so it happens on you know certain uh, flyby aircraft or rovers and whatnot. Um, they may not be able to use solar. Uh, you get enough energy from solar uh, photovoltaics so currently they use a, a radioactive heat source um, for a, kind of uh, various types of engine technologies and um, <clears throat> the current one that's kind of used is very reliable but quite inefficient and we, so we've had a little bit of funding for a, um, a different tech power generation technology um, that that's uh, much more efficient uh, but it's still in early stages of development
1: sure. I mean, I want to say, like, what are you doing in the business incubator at LSU? How did how did you get here? I...
3: We um, well, we're we you know we're we're a small company, and the uh, incubator works for us. We were um, I'm from Louisiana, uh, Alexandria originally, and uh, I went to LSU did my undergrad and masters there, and then uh, moved out of state for about ten years. Uh, worked for a company in Arkansas, then, then whack, went back to school at Purdue to get my uh, doctoral degree in, in mechanical engineering. And um, after that, my wife and I just decided we wanted to get back closer to where our family was. We um, had a couple of kids by that time, and uh, so we chose Baton Rouge as being a good a good place to start a business.
1: And and is it panning out? itself? It has. Like we've it. been
3: in business for 12 years now. You know, like I say, we're still a small company, but we're uh, We've been successful and, and generated some sus- successful products
1: that's great now now michael are, are most of your clients in this field local or are they regional or are they national i know jones walker does work all over but um
2: i'd say it, it depends on the type of intellectual property work so uh, litigation wise i'd say the work is more national whereas the transactional work is more regional and so i would say that the gulf coast footprint pretty much defines kind of our our primary market for intellectual property.
1: So what kind of intellectual property do you see? So uh,
2: because we're in Louisiana, I would say a majority of the work that we do is somehow related to the oil and gas industry. It's certainly not exclusively what we do, but that happens to be the number one industry that we have here in South Louisiana, as well as in Houston. And so uh, those types of technologies can range from tools that are used in downhole drilling operations to different chemicals that are used in drilling operations and things of that nature would be some of the examples that come immediately to mind.
1: And, and are a lot of these inventions or ideas uh, developed, like, in the field by engineers that are just out there working it and, and have recognized the need for it, or is it coming out of the university?
2: So, I, I mean, certainly universities that have research going on, uh, will have technology that becomes patentable technology that they seek to patent. Uh, But I'd say a predominant amount of work that we do is in private industry. And most of those patentable inventions come from problems that they encounter in their normal business operations. And the invention lies in the solution to that problem. And so uh, that's ultimately any patent that's going to be valuable. You want it to be solving a problem and so that's usually the most fruitful way to try to identify something that's worth patenting to begin with
1: so interesting and and michael you've been involved in 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 50 patents through through inventherm does inventherm um take an ownership stake or some sort of equity position in these companies that it helps develop or do you just get a fee for for helping them find their way
3: it it depends on the relationship um certainly companies tend to want to keep keep their ip right Um, their intellectual property but it it can depend when we get into say the compressor area where we've done so much work uh, there's going to be some significant restrictions on what we'll give up and we've invested you know tens of thousands of hours millions of dollars in developing technology and and if a company comes in and wants to pay us to modify or do some additional technology you know we're not going to just turn all that over Um, we've had projects where we start out uh, just doing some consulting and we'll, we'll carve out like a field of use, say any, anything in this field that we're working for that, that's your, your property. Um, and we'll do some work for a while and it's, it's ongoing and they're happy with what we're doing. And then we may get into, um, <clears throat> we're gonna maybe give you a little bit of equity in this so we can you know, decrease our you know, their burn rate for this development. Um, so we have those kind of opportunities that come up as well. Jason, do you usually try to work out on the front end
2: the arrangement that's going to be take place between you and your customers? Yeah,
3: absolutely. That happens. That before we do, we may do some basic analysis, you know, um, and we can kind of completely stay away from the IP stuff if we're just doing some, you know, you know kind of technical analysis. But if we're getting into the the development part, we're gonna we're gonna right away. Um, uh, get into, you know, how we how we handle the IP and, you know, we've generally, I'm, um, it's, we've always been able to work out, you know, mutually agreeable, you know, situation once they understand our side of, of what's happening, you know, we have to be real careful that we don't tie our hands for a future project, um, yeah, well, at the same time, they need to protect their investment.
2: Yeah, so, Stephanie, that's the issue I see mostly with our clients when they are having to outsource some of the design work on patentable inventions is not getting agreements in writing up front Mm -hmm. and sometimes ending up with a situation where there's joint ownership of the technology because the engineering firm that assists them with developing the prototype might make some suggestions that improve the original design and therefore now the engineering firm has part ownership because they have some inventors on the patent application itself and that can create a very messy situation that's very hard to fix, uh, particularly when a lot of money
3: becomes involved.
1: That hadn't happened with y'all, Jason.
3: No, I've never had that issue. Like I said, I'll bring it up. If they don't bring it up, I'll, you know, I'll bring it up right away. You know, we'll 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 make sure we're we're all settled, and you know, better to avoid those type of disagreements. And you know, we want to have a good working relationship with our clients. You know, we're not out to. You know, we're, we're being paid for our work. And like I say, we're, we need to make sure we don't get our hands tied or, or if it's again, it gets in these areas where we've just done a tremendous amount of work, you know, we're just going to be very careful about what we give up. But we're going to let them know.
1: Do you all have any of your own technology that you've invented and patented and are selling or marketing or licensing?
3: We, we have stuff we're working on. The um, the NASA um, work with the, the small uh, power generation technology um is, is one that's um therms technology. Um we are um working on another one we're we're very excited about. Um that's a um a commercial uh, and product. Um unfortunately I can't talk too much about it on the <laughs> air yet. Um but we're kinda at that point where we're ready to get uh we've built some prototypes and we're ready to get our investors lined up. Um so we do a little bit of both. It's a it's a two pronged, you know we're, we're we're open for business, for consulting work. At the same time, we're trying to develop and spin off our own technologies.
1: Power generation, you mentioned. What exactly are you all doing or helping them do in the power well, the, generation?
3: The um, So it's small-scale stuff. And, um, it, you know, the NASA work is related to um, use uh, radioactive heat sources to generate power for spacecraft, rovers and whatnot, deep space vehicles. Wow. Um, that would be, you know— they have a very long development cycle many years away, but it has applications for, um, you know, people are familiar with, you know, electric cars are much more common now, but but the the real problem is a a liquid fuel like gasoline has about a hundred times the energy density of a battery. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard just to get the range and whatnot. Um, So if you can produce a, uh, make a small engine technology that can use a liquid fuel, there's a lot of portable electrical devices that would um, not only be able to last longer but would be some in some cases become viable where they're just not some some types of you know exoskeletons and personal cooling systems that the military is interested in they just they're not really viable because they don't have a good you know power source at that small scale and that's kind of where we're targeting with so
1: them. are you like on the cusp of inventing the holy grail of, of power generation (laughs) it's
3: a long we're we're still you know a little bit we've had done some proof of concept work we've had some funding from nasa and also national science foundation uh technically it's you know solid but but the details are always a challenge and it's a lot of work to get that done
1: you're listening to out to lunch i'm stephanie regal i'm talking to jason hugenroth of InventTherm and michael leachman of jones walker we'll be right back after this very short break you're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Jason Hugenroth of InventTherm and Michael Leachman of Jones-Walker. This stuff gets really technical. Obviously, Michael, do you have to understand it to be able to effectively, you know, deal in this arena? Or is that where maybe your engineering background comes in handy?
2: Well, so to be a patent attorney, you have to have an engineering background or some hard science background. Really? And that's part of, you have to take a separate bar exam even to be a patent attorney. And part of the Requirement prerequisite for sitting for that bar exam is to have that technology background. However, patent attorneys are never supposed to be the experts in the technology. The experts are always the inventors. Um, our job is mainly to make sure that we have the educational background so that we can be taught and become an expert for about a two-week period of drafting the application and then we set it down and move on to something else that we have to become experts in and so it's kind of being a chameleon.
3: It's a, it's a real challenge because the, um, the engineers aren't you know, experts on the IP, and um, it's a little bit, you know, the more both can learn about what the other one's doing, the, the, the better, more effective uh, you know, patent you're gonna end up with. Um, you know, it really helps for the engineer to understand what a patent is for and what it really does.
2: Yeah, so I think what Jason is saying is that you know, the patent attorney's job is to be an expert on patent law, the mm-hmm. inventor's mm-hmm. job is to be an expert on their invention, and ideally, you both are exchanging information and both really understanding what the process is from a legal standpoint and understanding the technology at a very granular level. So you make sure that you get everything you need to in your application.
1: So let's say you come up with a really great invention, you know, um, some device. What do you need to do to protect it from, you know, intellectual theft and and then license it and hopefully make money from it. What are the steps? And maybe y'all approach it from different ways. But.
3: Well, the, what, what we would start with is we'll, we'll put together a, um, a, a document and I've done enough now to, that I know what to do to, um, to properly explain to the patent attorney uh, what we have and what we're trying to protect. And, and I'll go as far as we'll, we'll do the preliminary uh, prior art search, which is actually looking at what's out there already um, especially in the, in the uh, existing patent literature. So we can kind of get an idea of if what we have is patentable and then we'll turn that over to the attorney and, and they'll start, you know, of course, asking questions and advising us and then yeah, that's where y'all take over Michael. Yeah,
2: so one thing that's important to understand is that just because you file a patent application doesn't mean you're actually gonna get a patent. Uh, the patent office has an army of patent examiners whose jobs are to be gatekeepers and not to let every single application grow into a patent. Uh, and they're going to do a search to see what else already is out there, uh, whether it's in patent literature or in you know, New England Journal of Medicine. They're going to search to try, try to find any written disclosures that show that the applied for invention is not new, or even if it's new that it's obvious, meaning it's such a small improvement over what already exists that you shouldn't get patent protection. So what Jason was explaining is, is that with his process, they usually try to replicate what the patent office is going to do themselves before they even contact a patent attorney. The other option would be to contact a patent attorney and have the patent attorney help guide you through that research um, on the front end before you expend the money to do a full patent application.
1: Okay. Now, have y'all ever seen it where For instance, like two people are working on the same thing at the same time. I mean, knowing how things develop and evolve, uh, somebody hears of it, and and what happens then?
3: Yeah, I don't know if I've seen it where somebody is actually working on the same time, but you certainly almost always find some kind of relative prior art. And so you just start to—that doesn't mean you abandon what you're doing. You're you're still looking for what's new— about what you have you you can't maybe claim as you you'd like to to claim everything under the sun in your patent but you have to narrow it down and that uh, just begins that process um, but i think people are pretty secretive and they they're keeping their ip under wraps and um you will see the uh in the applications eventually get published and that's all online so you you will look through that as well to see to see what's out there well it
2: it happened often enough that before the patent act was changed uh here recently in 2012 uh there was actually a proceeding at the patent office when you had two people apply for the same invention it was called an interference proceeding so, really so um while i haven't seen it personally in my practice it certainly happened enough that there was an entire proceeding that the patent office had to try to figure out who was the first inventor uh, now we've shifted to a first two file system so Historically, the United States always was a first-to-invent patent system. Uh, the rest of the world had been a first-to-file system for quite some time, and uh, with the America Invents Act that was passed under the Obama administration, we're now a first-to-file system, so you're not seeing interference proceedings anymore. It now becomes who gets to the patent office first is going to be the winner.
1: Huh? And I guess the process is lengthy to, to, to get your patent license approved? application approved Yeah,
3: a couple of years generally from my experience years. yeah
2: yeah there's yeah. a there's a backlog of about six to seven hundred thousand patent applications sitting up. six
1: to seven hundred thousand
2: uh, sitting in alexandria virginia waiting for a patent examiner to have time to take a look at it so it can sometimes take up to two years before the patent office even
3: looks at your application
1: and in the meantime you're vulnerable i suppose but you're wanting to develop your product and bring it to market, and right?
3: Yeah, there. So there's some risk there. So you're gonna you're gonna rely a lot on the. Um, again, we we'll do our own background search, but we'll have a professional you know prior art search done. So we're we're trying to see what's out there. But you're you're exposed if somebody I believe uh, Michael is it 18 months uh, applications are published after after a, a non-provisional file? filed. They're published after
2: 18 months yeah. unless you ask for it not to be published. Yeah.
3: So. So there can be stuff out there that you're just not seeing. So there's some, there's certainly some risk. Um, that's what patent pending means, right? Yeah. I so, guess. Right.
2: And so from a, from an offensive standpoint, uh, the law does provide for this concept known as provisional rights. So even if you're patent pending and you see someone that's infringing your pending application, you can try to put them on notice of your application, and if in fact, you know, your patent ultimately issues you can get damages dating back to when they were put on notice. So even though you didn't have a patent, you couldn't sue them at the time, you put them on notice, you still potentially get some damages for the infringing activity that happened during this patent pending status. Okay. In practice, it's very hard for that to actually work for a variety of reasons. It's probably a little too much of a deep dive. But um, what I think Jason was getting at was the risk of when you file an application, you don't have that guarantee that you're actually gonna get a patent and the fact that it takes so long to get that answer from the patent office, it can slow down efforts to get funding mm-hmm. and things of that nature because no one knows for sure what's going to happen with the process. And yeah. so there's a little bit of risk that comes into play. And I tell all of my clients that you've got to look at the patent process as a, a certain level of risk. There's no guarantees here. Even if you do the perfect patentability study at the, at the front end, you still can be surprised.
1: Jason, have y'all worked with any companies that have really hit it big, you know, thanks to the technology that they developed through through you or with your help?
3: Um, I would say a, a product we're, we're working on right now for, for a company, for a startup, is going to be um, probably the biggest thing yet that we've, we've worked on as far as... Oh, can as, you give um, us a hint as what um, they do? It's, it's a consumer appliance related to um, ice cream. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I love it. It's a uh, very, uh, very novel. Um, came to us with a with an idea, and we, you know, first kind of just vetted see if see if it was possible, and um, we're, we're several prototypes in. It's going very well. So uh, um, it's something. I think people are going to be seeing here in, in just maybe a couple of years.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know we've been talking a lot about patents and inventions um, on the technology side, but I just wanted to ask you, Michael, for a minute about more creative products and especially your, with the Internet today. You write a song or you a poem or a book. How do, you, how do you protect that? And, and plagiarism, of course, is such a huge thing. I mean, I, I used to work in, in food and with recipes even. I mean, that was just a nightmare because how do you really protect a recipe?
2: Yeah, recipes are very difficult because it's hard to identify what's yours versus what is independent creation of someone else. And so what we're talking about typically when we're talking about any sort of artistic creation, we're dealing with copyright rights now. And whereas patents... A patent protects you against reverse engineering and it protects you against independent creation. None of those are defenses to patent infringement. Copyright, all of those defenses are in play, meaning if you paint the prettiest picture you've ever seen, if someone across town paints the same picture of the same tree, for instance, if they did it without looking at your, your painting and they end up being substantially similar, copyright law says that's perfectly fine. And so, copyright law is, is mainly trying to prevent, like you kind of hinted at, which is plagiarism or stealing or copying. That's mm-hmm. that's where the word copyright comes in. Um, you know, what ways to protect yourself? Certainly, you know, seeking registrations of your copyrights. It allows you to have a much quicker avenue uh, to recourse in court by having a copyright registration in hand already. Um, other. The other things is just being smart if you're a photographer, if you're putting photographs up on, you know, social media, put watermarks, put things that make it more difficult for people to take your property and reproduce it. I mean, we see with the Internet now, I mean, it's so easy to reproduce photos. I mean,
1: Sure. And just when you want to snag something to put in a PowerPoint presentation, for instance, right? I mean, you just want to grab an image and...
2: Oh, yes. I mean, uh, you know, I, little I, things like I that. have to be really careful because I figure that if, if someone ever gets to sue an intellectual property attorney for copyright infringement, <laughs> that'd, that'd probably make some news. So, uh, you know, something we have to deal with at our firm as well when we're doing presentations is making sure that you know if we're using some sort of stock images that we have licenses to it
3: interesting is is your litigation mostly on the the patent arena or does it get in the copyright as well we've
2: done some copyright litigation i had a really interesting case several years ago that involved uh several uh, rap labels where it was a really big copyright infringement mess. it involved Making bootleg CDs in prison, in the prison system here in Louisiana. So it was a really messy case. I bet that was. Uh, Yeah, because I mean, some of the owners of the record label were actually in the prison. So there was a question of whether or not they were kind of fueling this litigation to start with. But uh, yeah, that case was definitely a certainly Did you win that
1: one? Did your client Uh, win?
2: Yes, I mean, you know, there's a huge spectrum of winning and losing in litigation. Uh, You know, sometimes. Winning doesn't mean, you know, a big pot of money at the end. But that was certainly, there was a resolution that our our client, who I won't name, was happy with.
1: Well, Jason Hugenroth and Michael Leachman, you are are both on the cutting edge of bringing cool technologies and inventions and ideas to market here. And Baton Rouge is fortunate to have you helping others get their intellectual property out there. So I wish we had more time to continue this very interesting discussion. Thank you all so much for being here today.
3: Thanks, Seth, for having me. Thank you.
1: My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Michael Leachman of Jones-Walker and Jason Hugenroth of Inventherm. You can find out more about Jones-Walker and InventTherm by going to the links on our website, itsbatonrouge.la. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Rusciutti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino, Anne Edelman, and Dave Winwood. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsbattenrouge.la, and on our It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. These photos were taken by Carrie Hosford, and you can find more of Carrie's photos at carriehosford.com. You can hear the show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbattenrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch.